0: Chapters forty-three and forty-four of *The Way of All Flesh*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rhonda Fetterman. *The Way of All Flesh* by Samuel Butler. Chapter forty-three. So important did Theobald consider this matter that he made a special journey to Roughborough before the half year began. It was a relief to have him out of the house, but though his destination was not mentioned, Ernest guessed where he had gone. To this day he considers his conduct at this crisis to have been one of the most serious latches of his life, one which he could never think of without shame and indignation. He says he ought to have run away from home, but what good could he have done if he had— He would have been caught, brought back, and examined two days later instead of two days earlier. A boy of barely sixteen cannot stand against the moral pressure of a father and mother who have always oppressed him any more than he could cope physically with a powerful, full-grown man. True, he may allow himself to be killed rather than yield, but this is being so morbidly heroic as to come close round again to cowardice for it is little else than suicide which is universally condemned as cowardly on the reassembling of the school it became apparent that something had gone wrong dr skinner called the boys together and with much pomp excommunicated mrs cross and mrs jones by declaring their shops to be out of bounds the street in which the swan and bottle stood was also forbidden The vices of drinking and smoking, therefore, were clearly aimed at. And before prayers, Dr. Skinner spoke a few impressive words about the abominable sin of using bad language. Ernest's feelings can be imagined. Next day, at the hour when the daily punishments were read out, though there had not yet been time for him to have offended, Ernest Pontifex was declared to have incurred every punishment which the school provided for evildoers, He was placed on the idle list for the whole half-year, and on perpetual detentions. His bounds were curtailed. He was to attend junior callings over. In fact, he was so hemmed in with punishments upon every side that it was hardly possible for him to go outside the school gates. This unparalleled list of punishments inflicted on the first day of the half-year, and intended to last till the ensuing Christmas holidays. Was not connected with any specified offence. It required no great penetration, therefore, on the part of the boys to connect Ernest with the putting Mrs. Cross's and Mrs. Jones' shops out of bounds. Great indeed was the indignation about Mrs. Cross, who, it was known, remembered Dr. Skinner himself as a small boy only just got into jackets. "'and had doubtless let him have many a sausage and mashed potatoes upon deferred payment. "'The head boys assembled in conclave to consider what steps should be taken. "'But hardly had they done so before Ernest knocked timidly at the head-room door "'and took the bull by the horns by explaining the facts "'as far as he could bring himself to do so. "'He made a clean breast of everything, except about the school list "'and the remarks he had made about each boy's character.' This infamy was more than he could own to, and he kept his counsel concerning it. Fortunately, he was safe in doing so, for Dr. Skinner, pendant and more pendant though he was, had still just sense enough to turn on Theobald in the matter of the school list. Whether he resented being told that he did not know the characters of his own boys, or whether he dreaded a scandal about the school, I know not, but when Theobald had handed him the list, over which he had expended so much pains, Dr. Skinner had cut him uncommonly short, and had then and there, with more suavity than was usual with him, committed it to the flames before Theobald's own eyes. Ernest got off with the head boys easier than he expected. It was admitted that the offense, heinous though it was, had been committed under extenuating circumstances the frankness with which the culprit had confessed all his evidently unfeigned remorse and the fury with which dr skinner was pursuing him tended to bring about a reaction in his favour as though he had been more sinned against than sinning as the half-year wore on his spirits gradually revived and when attacked by one of his fits of self-abasement He was in some degree consoled by having found out that even his father and mother, whom he had supposed so immaculate, were no better than they should be. About the 5th of November it was a school custom to meet on a certain common not far from Roughborough and burn somebody in effigy, this being the compromise arrived at in the matter of fireworks and Guy Fawkes' festivities. This year, it was decided that Pontifex's governor should be the victim, and Ernest, though a good deal exercised in mind as to what he ought to do, in the end saw no sufficient reason for holding aloof from proceedings which, as he justly remarked, could not do his father any harm. It so happened that the bishop had held a confirmation at the school on the 5th of November dr skinner had not quite liked the selection of this day but the bishop was pressed by many engagements and had been compelled to make the arrangement as it then stood ernest was among those who had to be confirmed and was deeply impressed with the solemn importance of the ceremony when he felt the huge old bishop drawing down upon him as he knelt in chapel he could hardly breathe and when the apparition paused before him and laid its hands upon his head, he was frightened almost out of his wits. He felt that he had arrived at one of the great turning points of his life, and that the earnest of the future could resemble only very faintly the earnest of the past. This happened at about noon, but by the one o'clock dinner hour the effect of the confirmation had worn off and he saw no reason why he should forego his annual amusement with the bonfire. So he went with the others, and was very valiant, till the image was actually produced, and was about to be burnt. Then he felt a little frightened. It was a poor thing enough, made of paper, calico, and straw, but they had christened it the Reverend Theobald Pontifex and he had a revulsion of feeling as he saw it being carried toward the bonfire. Still, he held his ground, and in a few minutes when all was over, felt none the worse for having assisted at a ceremony which, after all, was prompted by a boyish love of mischief, rather than by rancor. I should say that Ernest had written to his father, and told him of the unprecedented way in which he was being treated he even ventured to suggest that theobald should interfere for his protection and reminded him how the story had been got out of him but theobald had had enough of dr skinner for the present the burning of the school list had been a rebuff which did not encourage him to meddle a second time in the internal economics of roughborough he therefore replied that he must either remove ernest from roughborough altogether which would for many reasons be undesirable or trust to the discretion of the headmaster, as regards the treatment he might think best for any of his pupils. Ernest said no more. He still felt that it was so discreditable to him to have allowed any confession to be wrung from him, that he could not press the promised amnesty for himself. It was during the Mother Cross Row, as it was long styled among the boys, that a remarkable phenomenon was witnessed at Roughborough. I MEAN THAT OF THE HEAD BOYS UNDER CERTAIN CONDITIONS, DOING errands FOR THEIR JUNIORS. THE HEAD BOYS HAD NO BOUNDS, AND COULD GO TO MRS. CROSS'S WHENEVER THEY LIKED. THEY ACTUALLY, THEREFORE, MADE THEMSELVES GO-BETWEENS, AND WOULD GET ANYTHING FROM EITHER MRS. CROSS'S OR MRS. JONES FOR ANY BOY, NO MATTER HOW LOW IN THE SCHOOL, BETWEEN THE HOURS OF QUARTER TO NINE, AND NINE IN THE MORNING, AND A QUARTER TO SIX, AND SIX IN THE AFTERNOON. By degrees, however, the boys grew bolder, and the shops, though not openly declared inbounds again, were tacitly allowed to be so. CHAPTER Forty Four. I may spare the reader more details about my hero's school-days. He rose, always in spite of himself, into the doctor's form, and for the last two years or so of his time was among the preposterous though he never rose into the upper half of them he did little and i think the doctor rather gave him up as a boy whom he had better leave to himself for he rarely made him construe and he used to send in his exercises or not pretty much as he liked his tacit unconscious obstinacy had in time effected more even than a few bold sallies in the first instance would have done to the end of his career his position in par was what it had been at the beginning namely among the upper part of the less reputable class whether of seniors or juniors rather than among the lower part of the more respectable only once in the whole course of his school life did he get praise from dr skinner for any exercise and this he has treasured as the best example of guarded approval which he has ever seen he had had to write a copy of alcaics on the dogs of the monks of St. Bernard, and when the exercise was returned to him he found the doctor had written on it, in this copy of Alchaics, which is still excessively bad, I fancy that I can discern some faint symptoms of improvement. Ernest says that if the exercise was any better than usual it must have been by a fluke, for he is sure that he always liked dogs, especially St. Bernard dogs, "'far too much to take any pleasure in writing alcaics about them. "'As I look back upon it,' he said to me but the other day, with a hearty laugh, "'I respect myself more for having never once got the best mark for an exercise than I should do "'if I had got it every time it could be got. "'I am glad nothing could make me do Latin and Greek verses. "'I am glad Skinner could never get any moral influence over me.' I am glad I was idle at school, and I am glad my father overtasked me as a boy. Otherwise, likely enough, I should have acquiesced in the swindle, and might have written as good a copy of Alchaic's about the dogs of the monks of St. Bernard as my neighbors. And yet I don't know, for I remember there was another boy who sent in a Latin copy of some sort, but for his own pleasure he wrote the following. The dogs of the monks of St. Bernard go To pick little children out of the snow, And around their necks is the cordial gin Tied with a little bit of bob-bin. I should like to have written like that, And I did try, but I couldn't. I didn't quite like the last line, And tried to mend it, but I couldn't. I fancied I could see traces of bitterness Against the instructors of his youth, in earnest manner, and said something to this effect. "'Oh, no!' he replied, still laughing. No more than St. Anthony felt toward the devils who had tempted him, when he met some of them casually a hundred or a couple of hundred years afterwards. Of course he knew they were devils, but that was all right enough. There must be devils. St. Anthony probably liked these devils better than most others, AND FOR OLD ACQUAINTANCE' SAKE SHOWED THEM AS MUCH INDULGENCE AS WAS COMPATIBLE WITH DECORUM. BESIDES, YOU KNOW, HE ADDED, ST. ANTHONY TEMPTED THE DEVILS QUITE AS MUCH AS THEY TEMPTED HIM, FOR HIS PECULIAR SANCTITY WAS A GREATER TEMPTATION TO TEMPT HIM THAN THEY COULD STAND. STRICTLY SPEAKING, IT WAS THE DEVILS WHO WERE TO BE MORE PITIED, FOR THEY WERE LED UP BY ST. ANTHONY TO BE TEMPTED AND FELL, WHEREAS ST. ANTHONY DID NOT FALL. I believe I was a disagreeable and unintelligible boy, and if ever I meet Skinner there is no one whom I would shake hands with, or do a good turn to, more readily." At home things went on rather better. The Ellen and Mother Cross rose, sank slowly down upon the horizon, and even at home he had quieter times now that he had become a preposter nevertheless the watchful eye and protecting hand were still ever over him to guard his comings in and his goings out and to spy out all his ways is it wonderful that the boy though always trying to keep up appearances as though he were cheerful and contented and at times actually being so wore an often anxious jaded look when he thought none were looking which told of an almost incessant conflict within Doubtless Theobald saw these looks and knew how to interpret them, but it was his profession to know how to shut his eyes to things that were inconvenient. No clergyman could keep his benefice for a month if he could not do this. Besides, he had allowed himself for so many years to say things he ought not to have said, and not to say the things he ought to have said, that he was little likely to see anything that he thought it more convenient not to see unless he was made to do so it was not much that was wanted to make no mysteries where nature has made none to bring his conscience under something like reasonable control to give ernest his head a little more to ask fewer questions and to give him pocket-money with a desire that it should be spent upon menus plaisirs. call that not much indeed laughed Ernest, as I read him what I have just written. Why, it is the whole duty of a father, but it is the mystery-making which is the worst evil. If people would dare to speak to one another unreservedly, there would be a good deal less sorrow in the world a hundred years hence. To return, however, to Roughborough. On the day of his leaving, when he was sent for into the library to be shaken hands with, he was surprised to feel that, though assuredly glad to leave, he did not do so with any especial grudge against the doctor rankling in his breast. He had come to the end of it all, and was still alive, nor, take it all around, more seriously amiss than other people. Dr. Skinner had received him graciously, and was even frolicsome after his own heavy fashion. Young people are almost always placable, and Ernest felt, as he went away, that another such interview would not only have wiped off all old scores, but have brought him round into the ranks of the doctor's admirers and supporters, among whom it is only fair to say that the greater number of the more promising boys were found. Just before saying good-bye, the doctor actually took down a volume from those shelves which had seemed so awful six years previously, and gave it to him after having written his name in it, and the words meaning, with all kind wishes from the donor. This book was one written in Latin by a German, Schoman, de Comitis Atheniensibus. Not exactly light and cheerful reading, but Ernest felt it was high time he got to understand the Athenian constitution and manner of voting. He had got them up a great many times already, but had forgotten them as fast as he had learned them, Now, however that the doctor had given him this book, he would master the subject once and for all. How strange it was! He wanted to remember these things very badly. He knew he did, but he could never retain them. In spite of himself, they no sooner fell upon his mind that they fell off it again. He had such a dreadful memory. Whereas if anyone played him a piece of music, and told him where it came from. He never forgot that, though he made no effort to retain it, and was not even conscious of trying to remember it at all. His mind must be badly formed, and he was no good. Having still a short time to spare, he got the keys of St. Michael's Church, and went to have a farewell practice upon the organ, which he could now play fairly well. He walked up and down the aisle for a while, in a meditative mood, and then, settling down to the organ, played They Loathed to Drink of the River, about six times over, after which he felt more composed and happier. Then, tearing himself away from the instrument he loved so well, he hurried to the station. As the train drew out, he looked down from a high embankment on to the little house his aunt had taken and where it might be said she had died through her desire to do him a kindness. There were the two well-known bow windows, out of which he had often stepped to run across the lawn into the workshop. He reproached himself with the little gratitude he had shown towards this kind lady, the only one of his relations whom he had ever felt as though he could have taken into his confidence. Dearly as he loved her memory— He was glad she had not known the scrapes he had gotten into since she died. Perhaps she might not have forgiven them, and how awful that would have been! But then, if she had lived, perhaps many of his ills would have been spared him. As he mused thus, he grew sad again. "'Where, where,' he asked himself, "'was it all to end?' WAS IT TO BE ALWAYS SIN, SHAME, AND SORROW IN THE FUTURE, AS IT HAD BEEN IN THE PAST? AND THE EVER WATCHFUL EYE AND PROTECTING HAND OF HIS FATHER LAYING BURDENS ON HIM, GREATER THAN HE COULD BEAR, OR WAS HE TOO, SOME DAY OR ANOTHER, TO COME TO FEEL THAT HE WAS FAIRLY WELL AND HAPPY? THERE WAS A GRAY MIST ACROSS THE SUN, SO THAT THE EYE COULD BEAR ITS LIGHT and Ernest, while musing as above, was looking right into the middle of the sun himself, as into the face of one whom he knew and was fond of. At first his face was grave, but kindly, as of a tired man who feels that a long task is over. But in a few seconds the more humorous side of his misfortunes presented itself to him. And he smiled, half reproachfully, half merrily, as thinking how little all that had happened to him really mattered, and how small were his hardships as compared with those of most people. Still looking into the eye of the sun and smiling dreamily, he thought how he had helped to burn his father in effigy, and his look grew merrier, till at last he broke out into a laugh. Exactly at this moment, the light veil of cloud parted from the sun and he was brought to terra firma by the breaking forth of the sunshine on this he became aware that he was being watched attentively by a fellow traveller opposite to him an elderly gentleman with a large head and iron-grey hair my young friend said he good-naturedly you really must not carry on conversations with people in the sun while you are in a public railway carriage The old gentleman said not another word, but unfolded his times and began to read it. As for Ernest, he blushed crimson. The pair did not speak during the rest of the time they were in the carriage, but they eyed each other from time to time, so that the face of each was impressed on the recollection of the other. End of chapter forty four. Recording by Rhonda Fetterman.